Good morning, you good-looking bunch of people. In the Lord, good. Yes, he is. Amen. Well, as you are making your way to your seat, we're going to dive into God's Word. But before we do, I want to give you just a quick little update on Heart for the House. You heard Christian mention it to you guys. And uh, first, let me just say for those of you that are our guests, can we just welcome our guests this morning? We are so honored that you would choose to come and to worship with us this morning. But I want to give just a little bit of an update to our church family here. So if you hear me talk about Heart for the House, what that is is a dream that has been birthed over 12 years, which is now materializing with us purchasing land where we will have our own facility, our own place where we'll be able to worship, our own place where we'll be able to do discipleship, our own place where we'll be able to have mornings of prayer, evenings of worship, where we'll have a place where our kids will be able to come together, your family will be able to come together, we'll be able to serve our community. I am so excited, you guys, and I hope that you are excited because God's about to do something big. And watch this. I've been sharing this with a a lot of you, but those of you that are here, he's getting you ready for what he's about to do because as we make this transition, I've been hearing the Spirit of the Lord say, I am about to expand Destiny Church's reach. It's about to happen, but now watch this. If all of a sudden we start getting a couple hundred people getting saved through here, I'm not going to be able to, and Daniel and Jay, we're not going to be able to disciple them on our own. We're going to need each and every one of you. But watch this. You guys are fully equipped. I teach you the Word of God every week. You're studying the Word of God on your own. You're ready. I said you're ready. And if you think, I don't know that I'm ready, yeah, you are. You're ready. You got what it takes, all right? So be Be ready. Be ready. Be preparing yourself. I can't sound the alarm enough because within a year from now, man, you're going to be glad. Man, I'm glad I heeded uh, pastor's uh, call to be ready because God is about to do something significant, something great in our city. Amen? Now, let me just give you a little update on where we are with the heart for the house. So, uh, and again, for those of you that are just joining us, we have been raising money to purchase land. And it's going to cost $600,000 to purchase this land. Once we purchase the land, we're going to use that as a down payment because we'll own it free and clear. And that's what we'll use as a down payment for a loan for us to go and then build. So our goal is not to go purchase land and then go and hang a sign out and say, Future Home Odessi Church, and it's going to sit there just blank for a couple of years like I've seen people do before. But we're going to keep the ball rolling. As a matter of fact, we've already had the engineer put the site plan together. I'm talking continually to our builders so that the moment it becomes ours, it just keeps rolling. Amen? But let me tell you where we're at. So our goal, and this was a crazy odd audacious, big, huge goal, but I believe we serve a big God. We try, we're trying to raise 600000 in two months' time, and um, our goal, our end goal was November the 5th. Now, that's next Sunday. Now, let me tell you where we currently are, so go ahead and bring that graphic up if you could. So right now, so raised is how much we have in the bank. That's 297000 and pledged that's 29000 That That's amounts that people says, hey, we were going to give. We haven't given it yet. We've promised to give it. But I want to say that somewhere around, oh, man, this always puts me on the spot. I want to say somewhere around 327000 Is that pretty close, guys? 327.5, is that on the money? Ah, good old Kentucky education paying off right there. So, uh, but anyway, uh, we're, we're 
praise God, we are more than halfway there. So that's the good news. Now, the other good news, because there's no bad news here, the other good news is that you still have an opportunity to give towards this. Now watch this. You know, this is where you say, ah, you're just kind of being like a televangelist, Chris, by sharing this. Listen to me. Many of you know that I, I have my own job that I don't take a salary from this church. I've been doing that for 12 years. I could take a salary from this church, but I don't. I've continued to work so that I could give. I believe in, I, not only do I believe in this vision, I believe in you guys. I believe in all of us. I believe in what God has called us to do. And so I say that to say, whatever money that you give, first of all, let me say every penny of it will go towards the land in the building. Are you hearing me? Just in case you're wondering, well, wait a minute now. What if something happens and it doesn't work out? Well, it's going to work out because God's going to work it out. But for those of you that, you know, hey, I'm a donor and I need to hear, but what if? If you need that what if, then, then, then we'll give you your money back if that's what you've given it toward. The money will be restricted toward land and for a building, okay? Now, I know that there are uh, many of you that have yet to give, and I just want to just pray that they're asked that you would pray and, and seek how God has asked you to, to partner with us on this. And thank you for those of you, by the way, that so many of you have already given. I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but at least over 50 or 60 different units of giving. That means different individuals or different families that have given in well over 100 different transactions, which means that many of you have given multiple times. So thank you guys for giving. I mean, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And uh, someone came up to me and said, hey, pastor, what can we do for you for pastor's appreciation? I said, give toward heart for the house. That's it. You want to know how you can appreciate your pastor? Give toward that because I'm all sold in, all in for this vision. Amen. And I'm excited about it. But uh, I want to just let you know where we were at. So uh, we do have uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. And bless God, we're going to hit our goal. I don't know how, but guess what? God knows how. Amen. And so I have faith that he's going to make it happen. And so would you guys just agree with me right now? I love it anytime I have the opportunity to get you guys to come into agreement with me on something. So uh, let's pray together if we could right now. Father, I thank you, God, that you are Jehovah Jireh. I thank you, God, that you meet our every provision, God. And Lord, I pray that even this week, even this week, Lord, that you would use us as funnels. That, God, you would send maybe even, Lord, this week, God, unexpected finances our ways. Lord, I'll, I'll be a conduit. Lord, you can send it through me. I'll give it. God, let it come, Lord, so that we can meet this need. God, we thank you, Lord, that you have already went before us on this. Holy Spirit, you are the forerunner of all things, and I believe, Lord, that you are already there, Lord, in the Spirit. You have already put a stake in the ground saying that that is ours, and so we thank you for it, God, and we believe, Lord, that you are going to supply all of our needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. So we thank you for it. We give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And all the church says, amen. 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 Awesome. Good stuff. Well, how about let's open up our Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Aren't you thankful for God's word? Yeah. Last week, uh, Jody did an excellent job teaching the first half of Colossians chapter 2. And by the way, I just want to say thank you to those of you that have been praying for my wife. As uh, many of you know, she had surgery this past Monday, and so she's at home recovering. Uh, 
whenever me and the girls left today, she was asleep, and we left her asleep. And it's been a hard week for her. It's been, I think this is her seventh surgery in two years. And, but we are just believing this is going to be the last. Amen. And so thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your words of encouragement. They have been, they've meant so much to both Jody and I. And um, over the next several weeks, she's got to speak in what the doctor called her confidential voice. And so here's how the doctor explained it to us. She says, think about this. Your confidential voice is like if you see your friend and your friend has toilet paper on their shoe, say, it's that voice right there. Um, to which I said, well, you're going to have to elaborate because if my friend has toilet paper stuck on their shoe, I'm going to laugh at them and be like, bro, you got toilet paper on your shoe. And so um, the doctor thought it was funny, too. Um, the nurse didn't. <laughs> so if you try to call Jody and she doesn't answer, it's because she is limited in her speech. But please do continue to pray for her recovery. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, for those of you that are just joining us, we are on a series called Unhindered, where we have been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of Colossians. And the purpose of us teaching this series is to allow the Word of God to create a foundation that will cause us to be able to withstand the test, the trials, and the temptations that all of us face. And it causes us to be able to live lives unhindered by the things of the world. Now, I want us to pick back up where Jody left off last week, and I want to remind you who it was that Paul was writing to. And it was primarily... Gentile Christians, although it could have been some Jewish believers that were there. And in verse 16, he continues in saying what he has addressed earlier, the fact that there would be those who would come and that would try to deceive you with persuasive arguments and try to get you to be captive through worldly philosophy. And one of the things that Paul says is that people will even try to put a yoke of religion around your neck. And so when we start reading these verses that we're about to read here, understand that there is a broader truth that Paul is addressing. And that truth is anything that we see or hear that is outside of Christ should be subjected to scrutiny. It should be looked at with critical observation an examination. And I feel the need to sound this alarm because we now live in a day in an age where people will watch a 60-second video clip and then go and flip their theological stance on an issue as a result of that. And so we've got to be grounded. We've got to be rooted, built up in him, ensuring that we are firmly established in our faith, not being moved by an emotional plea or a well-formulated argument that presents itself as truth that is just really a deception. And I'll explain a little more about what I mean by that as we go on, as we dive into verses 16 and 17. But look with me if you would, and we're going to start in verse 16. Colossians 2, 16, Paul says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food and drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. By the way, can I just say this in case you're thinking, man, why in the world is Chris teaching on this? Because that's what's next in the Bible. 
Can I just say that? Because I know, look, can I tell you as a preacher, it's so easy to cherry pick. I mean, let me tell you, I could get up here and put together a message that's going to get you ooing and wowing the entire message. But you know what? When you start cherry picking the word of God, that means that there are things in there. And you know, and I've been convicted by this because I've been doing this now for a little over a year and a half. When you skip by things, it's like, man, really? Festivals? And I got to teach on that. We miss things. And you do that even, and, and I do that at times, even in my own personal devotion time. Like, because we sit there and think, who wants to read the book of Numbers, right? But let me tell you something. There's something that God wants to speak through the book of Numbers. I can promise you that. You say, Leviticus, really? Oh, absolutely. And so it is well, what we're talking about here. So grab hold of this if you're like, really, that's what we're teaching today? Yeah, because that's what's next in the Bible, and I'm not skipping anything, all right? So... In this particular passage, let me just say that Paul's addressing various Jewish religious observations. Things like dietary restrictions, which would include things like kosher food preparation and not eating certain animals. But then he talks about festivals and new moon observations. Festivals would be things like Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacle. And new moon observations would be special ceremonies that the Jews would have in order to celebrate the beginning of each month. But, of course, the Jewish people followed the, the solar, uh, lunar, calendar, lunar calendar, and so they, they would always celebrate at the beginning of each month. Now, it would have been common in those days to judge one's level of spirituality based upon their adherence to these things. Now, these aren't things that we necessarily deal with here in our 21st century American lives. I mean, unless you're talking to a Seventh-day Adventist, you're probably not going to get judged for observing the Sabbath on a Sunday, right? But I can promise you that judgment is just as prominent today as it was back then. It just might look a little bit different. Like, for example, people will judge you because you either believe or don't believe in a certain social or political ideology. As a pastor, throughout the years, I've had people say to me that I talk too much about a certain thing or too little. Usually it's too little because I'm a preacher of the gospel and not a politician. But now here's the thing. It doesn't concern me when the world places judgment upon us. Come on, I mean, that's just what the world does. Like, it it can't help itself. But where the concern comes in is where we, as followers of Jesus, cast judgment. Listen, if someone believes or doesn't believe in climate control, And we say that we can't have fellowship with that person who's a follower of Jesus because of that reason. Then, friend, you have fallen prey to what it is that Paul is talking about right here. And you're not portraying love, but judgment. Let me say it this way. If I can't break bread with someone just because they vote differently than me, then is your fellowship based on politics or is it based upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I've been a Christian for about 30 years now. 
And I've watched the enemy divide and conquer many church bodies over things that should have never been divided over. I've watched denominations that wouldn't talk to spirit-filled Christians because those spirit-filled Christians believed in the gifts of the spirit. But then I saw spirit-filled Christians act as if they were better than those who were judging them, and both are wrong. See, what the enemy has done in the body of Christ is to get everyone to think that they have to be just like us. Can I say, he's done a pretty darn good job at it. I mean, why do you think there are more than 200 major Christian denominations in the United States alone? Look, if there is any one thing that the devil would love to do to hinder our purpose, it would be to get us to be divided over things that we should have never been divided over. Hey, guess what? I can break bread with a Baptist pastor. I can have fellowship with a Nazarene deacon. I can worship with my Episcopal brothers and sisters. But that doesn't mean that I have to agree on every nuanced issue. No. It simply means that I am looking to something greater, to someone greater, Jesus I mean, guys, that's why Paul said, don't focus on shadows. He says, focus on the substance. You see, the message that Paul is communicating here is that each one of us should prioritize our lives around our relationship with Jesus and not get caught up in religion, which always divides. I had a friend of mine who got invited to a church, and he went to this church And he decided he would go because he remembered something that his grandmother had told him, which was that Jesus was always the answer. And so he decided that he would get clothed and go into the church. And the moment he went through the door, this better not ever happen in our church or somebody going to be in trouble. But the moment he walks through the door, two men approached him and snatched his hat off his head. And said to him, son, you're in the house of God. Get that hat off. And the guy went, took his hat, turned around, and walked out the door. Like this would be a modern day example. This is one example. I'll give you hundreds of examples. Probably thousands and tens of thousands in the church. But this would be a modern day example of what Paul is talking about here. And by the way, can I just say, just for the record, you can come to this church with a suit and tie if you want to. You can come to this church with shorts and a tank top. You can come to this church with a hat on. Bless God, you can come to church and wear a kilt if you want to. Makes no difference to me. But watch this. Judgment is beyond all of our pay grade. Now, for the person that's sitting out there and says, well, but Brother Chris, now, you know, Paul tells us that we're supposed to judge those inside the church in 1 Corinthians 5.12. And yes, it does say that, but it's important that you always look at the context. Are you with me? I mean, if you take the text outside of context, it's nothing but pretext, hello. Because in that particular verse, he's only referencing a serious case of sin within the congregation that's being tolerated. He's not making a broad statement about judging every aspect of other people's lives. Why don't we look to what Jesus had to say about the issue, huh? Because Jesus said in Matthew 7, do not judge. 
Hello? I mean, just go ahead and underline that in your Bible, all right? Do not judge. Or, he's saying, hey, no, but if you do, let me just go ahead and let you know what's going to happen. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And that doesn't mean you're going to be judged by other people. God's talking about the judgment that he places. You want to judge other people, then I'm going to judge you. It says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So why does Jesus say not to judge, but Paul says that we're to judge those inside the church? Well, here's why. Because Paul was talking about church discipline among the body of Christ. He wasn't given a carte blanche to correct anyone who their beliefs doesn't align with theirs. And I feel passionate about this because this is a point where a lot of damage has been done within the church. Listen, this right here, what we're talking about, if it's not a heaven or hell issue, then you should walk gently in your approach to others. And if it isn't a sin issue, then you might even want to pray about whether you even say it at all. You know, we're not supposed to just say everything that comes to our mind. You know that, right? I remind myself of that every single time that I come up here to the pulpit. Now, Chris, don't let everything that comes in your mind come out of your mouth. But watch this. The Bible tells us how we should approach others. Guys, how we treat others matters. Look at me. Catch this. How we treat others matters to God. Get that stamped in your spirit. It matters to God. This people is who God sent his son to come and to die for. How you treat people matter to him. Galatians 6.1 says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. How? Gently. But watch yourselves. In other words, don't be prideful thinking, oh, I got it all together, so I'm going to tell this person how they have to live. He says, but watch yourself. Or you too may be tempted. Now I want you to notice though that Paul, he says if someone is caught in a sin. He doesn't just say if someone committed a sin because guess what? We do that every day of our lives. How? Because sin involves just more than our actions. You guys realize that, right? Like sin also involves our thoughts and our intentions. And so none of us are without sin. But if someone is caught in a sin, meaning that they are being overtaken by it, then the Bible says that those of you who live by the Spirit, you should restore that person gently. Church, let me ask you something. How do you think we're doing with this? And by us, I don't just mean Destiny Church, but I, I mean the body of Christ as a whole, because what I have found is that usually we kind of sway to one extreme or the other. What I mean by that is we are either all full on in our judgment, ready to, to rip someone apart, all in the name of Jesus, of course, or we do nothing at all. We see a person who is caught in sin, and we think, not my responsibility. Well, both extremes find their balance right here in Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. I want us to go to the 
Next verse, verse 18, because now Paul appears to be shifting from addressing Jewish practices to warning against a whole different set of beliefs and behaviors. And he lists things that can be labeled as various forms of uh, false spirituality, mysticism, and asceticism. Let's read the next verse, verse 18. It says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Now, I want us to just dig a little bit deeper into this verse right here. Paul begins by saying, let no one disqualify you. The New American Standard Bible, it, it translates this phrase as, take care that no one is defrauding you of your prize. And then he goes on to say how that can happen. And so this right here is something that we need to pay special attention to. Now, the ESV uses the word asceticism. And I know that's not a word that we usually use in our vocabulary, but it simply means the practice of strict self-denial as a measure of one's spirituality, which, by the way, for those who practice it, they almost always end up legalistic and judgmental because they believe that everyone else should be doing just the same as that they're doing. But even more than that, it holds this underlying belief that somehow if they subject themselves to extreme practices, that they can achieve a, a higher level of holiness and gain a closer connection to God. But watch this. Paul's message counters this by emphasizing that these practices, they are not necessary for our spiritual growth. He teaches that our fullness, our completeness in Christ, it comes through our faith and our relationship with him rather than just these self-imposed hardships or rituals. I remember whenever I was in college, I had a classmate of mine who was also a Christian. And I noticed that on his wrist, I saw some marks which appeared as if he was sticking his hand in a briar patch or something. It was like all bait up. But then I also noticed that he had a big, thick rubber band on that same hand. And just because I was curious, I said, yo, man, what's up with that? And he goes, oh, he says, well, every time that I have a bad, sinful thought, I just go ahead and, and, and I pop myself on the wrist. And so I look at him, I said, how's that working for you? And he looked at me, didn't say anything, and he must have said a bad thought because he popped his wrist. <laughs> but watch this, church. Self-abasement will never get you closer to God. Self-abasement, so don't ever fall prey to that. I know it doesn't happen. I don't see that happen in this church body a whole lot, but watch. The further you go in Christ, like someone will try to throw that yoke of religion on you. Friends, there's nothing more that you can do to add to the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus breathed his last breath, he didn't say, well, we're halfway there. I, 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 I took the first half. You got the other half. No. He said, it is finished. Now, does that mean that we don't try to live a holy life? No, we, we, we should. But by the way of doing it so is by living by the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. This means that it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to walk in integrity, 
to walk in godly character and with moral courage. But the moment that, that we think we can achieve these things on our own is the moment that we lose our reward. Or as Paul says, we defraud ourselves. And really what it's saying is, I will pay the price for my own sin, not Jesus. See, here's the thing. The reward that it's talking about here is salvation. Are you with me? See, this is a heaven or hell issue, church. You think it's not? Remember what we talked about just a few weeks ago when we talked about the man in Matthew chapter 7? Remember him? This guy, he had all the work elements down pat, but notice that his works alone did not save him. See, here's a sad thing. I've witnessed Christians who have come to the foot of the cross, looking for grace and for forgiveness, and they received it. But somewhere along the way, they believed the lie that what was begun in the spirit, that somehow now they had to complete in the flesh. Essentially, they put the yoke of religion back on their own neck. You can always see them. They're easy to spot because they don't have joy. They don't have peace. They don't love people. Their lives are miserable. Now, if that happens to be any of you, be free in Jesus' name. Cast off that yoke of religion and slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen? Now, Paul lists a few other things that also keep us from receiving our reward. He said, don't worship angels. Now, this isn't a common uh, practice for us today, but it would have been in, in Paul's time. But the next thing that he lists actually does hit home for us today. He says, don't go into detail about visions puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind. The King James Version says, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. Now, this is where I believe that there needs to be some balanced teaching in the body of Christ. You see, Paul here, he's not condemning the idea of receiving visions from God as he himself has received profound visions and revelations. Instead, he's addressing a specific misuse or obsession with visions that was likely causing divisions and distractions from within the church. And this is important to catch because it's not the experience of receiving visions that's problematic. It's the excess focus on the details of those visions. And Paul is essentially saying here that too much focus on this can lead to elevating the visionary. Are you with me? In other words, it can lead to pride. But even more than that, it can promote division or detract from the centrality of Christ. Church, hear me on this. We are a spirit-filled church. We welcome the gifts of the spirit. But as is the case with anything, even with the wonderful gifts of the spirit, abuse can happen. As a matter of fact, now make sure you hear me clearly on this. One of the greatest and most dangerous things that can be said or heard is, God told me this. 
Because on one hand, we know that God speaks. Amen. Thank God that he does. And it may very well be that, that God is speaking through you to someone or someone to you. But it's also possible that that person is operating in the flesh. I mean, is there anyone here that's ever operated in the flesh before? You better get your hand up. Come on. Get that religion out of here. Yes, you have, and so have I. I probably will before the day is over. Watch this. It's a weak and a prideful person that doesn't understand that we're not to just believe every word that someone gives us. I'm going to say that again for whoever needs to hear it. may not be here today. All right? It's a weak and prideful person that doesn't understand that we're not to just believe every word that someone gives us. As a matter of fact, here's what the Bible says in 1 John 4. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many, not just a handful, many false prophets have gone out. Look, I have had countless words that people have given to me that were not truth. And so, no, I'm not just going to accept someone's word as truth until I test it by the Spirit. And even then, even then, I'm not going to accept it as gospel. There's a difference between a prophetic word and the word of God. Are, are you hearing me? There are some of you that are here that you've been hurt by I'm going to say spiritual leaders. They could just even be uh, Christians, but possibly someone who's in leadership in some form or fashion. And they've said things to you like, the grace has been lifted from you. Or you're expendable. Oh, believe me, I've heard these just this month. And they did it all in the name of Jesus. Well, friends, hear me. If that happened to you, that was not Jesus. That was not Jesus. I had someone say to me, Whenever I wasn't even my right mind of thinking because it was right before I had my brain surgery and had a racquetball-sized tumor that was preventing me from being able to really think. But someone came to me and said they had a vision that I would be handicapped after my surgery. Church, we can do better. I said we can do better. Look, if you feel the need to say something to someone... Don't just give them your word. Give them the word. Because your word is not going to be a lamp to their feet and a light to their path. Amen. You're saying, Pastor, are you saying that I'm never supposed to give someone a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom? No, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying that we should proceed with caution, knowing that we will indeed be held accountable for every word that we speak. And whenever we're speaking... For God, we better darn sure make, make sure that we are treading lightly. Are y'all with me, church? There needs to be a little bit more fear of God in the church, a holy, reverent respect. That, not, I'm not talking about fear of being scared of God, but a holy reverence. Instead of just flipping out, oh, God told me, God told me, God told me, God told me. Did, did God really say that? Now, he may have, but we need, to, we need to approach it. So here's the balance. Are you hearing me? Versus people who don't believe God doesn't speak at all. Versus the person, you know, Jesus, am I supposed to go to McDonald's or Wendy's today, right? <laughs> I, I think God gives our free will a little bit of choice in some of that. So you don't know how many people 
I've had to walk through as the pastor of this church. You don't know how many people, and they're, I'm looking around, and they're in the seats right now, that have been the victim of spiritual abuse. And just to show you that what I'm talking about right now, it's not just a few isolated instances, because if that's never happened to you, then you're probably like, is that really that applicable? Um, how many of you would say that you have been on the receiving end of spiritual abuse before? If that is you, would you please raise your hand up really high and hold it so everyone else, now looky here, that's at least half of this church body, if not more. So I know that what I'm talking about right now is hitting home. Thank God for those of you that that's never happened to. But for those of you that it's happened to, because it's happened to me before. Let me just say this. Those of you that's been abused, first of all, thank you for not giving up on the body of Christ. Thank you for not giving up. Listen, the church is full of people who do dumb things. Just like your job is full of people who do dumb things. And your family is full of people who do dumb things. See, the church is full of imperfect people. Now, that doesn't excuse their abuse, but it doesn't excuse our behavior either. See, this is where we, as the people of God, we need to operate in grace and love. You see, it's a two-way street. Those who have been hurt, they need to extend forgiveness and healing. And those who have caused that hurt, they need to repent and change their ways. Paul's warning about becoming puffed up by one's sensuous mind is a reminder that our spirituality should always be grounded in humility. We should never elevate uh, our experiences above Christ, but instead we should continually point to him as the source of faith and salvation. Let me just address the issue of division within the church. Paul emphasizes the importance of unity in the body of Christ. And anytime we start elevating our spiritual gifts or we take a hard theological stance on certain positions over loving people, we risk dividing the church. Now, are there some positions that we need to take a hard stand on? Absolutely. Like, we should stand firm against sin and false teaching that directly contradicts the core principles of our faith. But not every matter in the body of Christ is worth going to the mat over. Like, for instance, the divinity of Christ and the resurrection are two doctrines that we should never compromise on. But there are secondary issues where Christians, they can hold different views without having to compromise their faith. These things might include things like mode of baptism or your perspective on communion. Like you might be transubstantiation, you might be consubstantiation, you might be memorialism, you might be symbolism. And some of y'all saying, I have no idea what he's talking about. For those you know, you know. But look, holding a different view from your brother or your sisters doesn't mean that we part ways and break fellowship. I know this may sound trivial, but denominations have split over this very issue. Or here's one. Worship style. This is one that gets me. And maybe it's just because I've been a believer now for 30 years and God has worked on my heart in this area because I can worship to anything that exalts the name of Jesus. 
I can worship to hymns. I can worship to Maverick City music. I can worship to a Gregorian chant. Now, do I have a preference? Sure I do. Am I ever going to allow my preference to cause me to break fellowship with my brother and sister? No way. Really, I think what Paul is talking to the church of Colossae about, it comes down to this. Are we choosing what we want or are we choosing to love others? Paul says it beautifully in verse 20 of Colossians chapter 2 when he said, You have died with Christ and are set free from the ruling spirits of the universe. Why then do you live as though you belong to this world? Now, just in case you're wondering, how can we know if we're living like the world or not? Well, it's simple. God is love. And anything that is not done in love is not of God. And what is love? Well, there's only one person who gets to define that, God himself. And the good news is he has defined it. He spelled it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 12. You want to know what real love is? Here it is. Download this in your spirit and go ahead and cast off any Preconceived ideas of what you think love is because this is what love is, friends. Ready? Love is patient. Oh, that's a word for someone who's dating someone and your boyfriend is pressuring, pressuring you to go further than you want to go or that God has set as a standard for you to go. Look, if he's not going to be patient and wait, then that's not love. That's called lust. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. In other words, it's not bringing attention back to self. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And what does that mean? Who's going to delight in evil? Well, this is, I believe, in context, talking about whenever we see evil that happens to those that we don't love. We're not to rejoice in that. That's what the terrorists are doing right now. We don't need to act the same as them whenever all of a sudden we see maybe a whole terrorist camp get bombed and say, yeah, we got them. Are you kidding me right now? Because I've heard Christians say that. Are you kidding me right now? Hmm. I'm sorry. Anything that is not of love is not of God. And he goes on to say, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For no, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. See, the scripture says that our gifts, because that's really what we're talking a little bit about today, like they're going to pass away, but love will never pass away. Paul goes on then to say, when I was a child, I talk like a child. Don't you love the two 
pieces that Paul puts together because right after defining what love is, he says, some of y'all are being childish because it ain't love. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Church, today's message is a charge to stay grounded and rooted in Christ. To not be swayed by the ever-changing tides of this world and to resist the temptation to judge one another based on insignificant matters, but instead focus on the substance of our faith, which is Jesus. You see, God's love is one that is patient and that's kind. That's what his love is. It's, it's one that seeks not to boast or to divide, but to protect and to trust and to persevere and to hope. And if we will walk in that love, his love, then we will be able to live our lives unhindered by the things of this world. And then our unity will then be a bright light which will serve as a testimony to the whole entire world. Amen? Would you guys stand to your feet with me? Did you all receive God's word this morning? You know, today I know that I've been talking to believers. That happened to be who Paul was writing his letter to. But you know, perhaps you're here this morning. And you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You see, friends, there comes a moment where it doesn't just happen by osmosis. Because the Bible says to choose you this day who you're going to serve. As a matter of fact, that's a question we should be asking ourselves each and every day. But for here and now, I want to ask you that question. Who are you serving? Are you serving your job? Are you serving... Maybe you're serving your family. You say, is that a bad thing? It's a bad thing if you're putting it above God. Because, friends, you were created not to serve any of the things of this world or people in this world. You were created to serve God. You were created to worship God. And watch this. Each and every one of us have a God-sized cavern on the inside of us. And when we try to grab the things of this world and throw in that cavern... It never fills. Only God can fill it. And so I just want to say first and foremost, so everyone look at me for a moment. God loves you. He loves you just the way that you are. Do you remember whenever the woman was caught in adultery? They brought the woman, they threw her right at the feet of Jesus, and they were ready to cast judgment. And then Jesus said, you know, which of you are without sin? Let him cast the first stone. And then the Bible says that they dropped their stones and they all walked away because they knew they had sin in their life. And then Jesus said to her, says, woman, where's your accuser? She says, my Lord, I have none. He says, I don't accuse you either. I don't judge you either. Now go and sin no more. You see, Jesus accepted her in the condition that she was in. An hour later, she was having an affair. So you may come into this place today having cheated on your taxes, having cheated on your spouse. 
You may come to this place and, and, and you've lied. You may come to this place and, and maybe you were even a different religion or maybe you were agnostic, atheist, or ignorant. I don't know. But, but no matter how you came into this place this morning, I want you to know that God accepts you just as you are. You don't have to bring something to God and say, God, will you accept me? All he wants is a heart that says, Lord, I'm yours. I need you, Lord. I can't save myself, Lord. So I look to you to be my God, my King, my Savior. And friend, if you will call out to Jesus, Jesus. He will forgive you of your sin. He will take every mark that's been ever written against you. And the Bible says it this way, that he will throw your sin into the sea of forgetfulness. It's powerful language right there. It's a whole nother teaching for another day. But it's essentially God saying, I'm never going to bring it up ever again. Ever again. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying right now you can start a fresh new life. A life in Christ. The old can pass away. The new can come. And I promise you this. The new is better. I stand up here and do what I do. Not because I get paid to do it. Y'all know that. But I do it because this life is better. The life in Christ. It's the one that will feel. Not only does it feel, friend, it overflows. It's what will cause you to be able to make it through the hard times in life. It's what will give you the peace that you need. It's what will give you the joy that you can't find whenever there's a blue light special at Kmart. Does that even exist anymore? Where did Kmart come from? Ha-ha. <laughs> Prime ain't got joy. Jesus got joy. Target ain't got peace. Jesus got peace. He's the prince of peace. And so if you want that peace in your life, and not only the peace, because some of you might be thinking, pretty good, Pastor, you know. Bank account looks good. I'm good. Pretty good guy. Good guys don't go to heaven, by the way. Did you know that? The Bible says that your righteousness, in other words, your very best efforts, they're as filthy rags to God. Good guys don't go to heaven. Forgiven guys do. And so if you want to know that your sin is forgiven, you say, why do I need my sin forgiven? Because, friend, everyone, sin has to be paid for. You're either going to pay for it in a place called hell, because that's what hell is created for, people who want to go pay for their own sins. That's really what it is. Or you could put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished at the cross and his shed blood. It is the payment for your redemption so that you are forgiven and that you will have the promise of heaven. That's where I'm getting around to. And I want to say to you, you have the promise of heaven in Jesus. And friends, let me tell you something. This life, I was just reading, everybody read Matthew Perry just died. Man. Check on your friends of friends, right? <laughs> and uh, this life's a vapor. hundred years from now, there's probably not a one of us in this room that will be standing or be alive. And, and the reality is that in, in, in two years, there'll be those in this room or probably even in a year. But friend, here's the thing. When we breathe our last breath, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we will stand before the Lord. And the only way, the only way, the only way you get to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And you don't have to believe that just because I said it, but you better believe it because Jesus said it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the invitation is presented before us all. And so this morning... For those of you that have not accepted that invitation, would you put your faith in Jesus Christ right now? 
Would you trust him to be your Lord and your Savior right now? Friend, you can take care of that right now by saying, yes, God. In your heart right now, you can say to him, God, yes, I want to live for you. I don't want to live for myself. I don't want to live for the things of the world. I want to be a Christian, a true Christian, not the hypocritical type that I've seen. I'm like, I want to be the one that is a bright, shining light. I want to know you, God. I want to walk with you, God. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray with me right now, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of surrender. Now, I'm talking to those of you here in this room, but I'm also talking to those of you that are watching online, that you are not in right standing with God. Right now, you can take care of that. The Bible says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Promise of heaven, hope for living. It's all found in Jesus. And so if that's you, pray this prayer out loud with me. Saints of God that have prayed this prayer before, let's all pray this out loud. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. I confess that I was born a sinner, and I need you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it and make you the Lord of my life. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave, just as your word says. And now I want to live my life to know you and to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. Can all the saints of God thank God for their salvation? And can we thank God for those who put their faith in Jesus this morning? Listen, if you did put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, if you're here in person, as you are leaving, and I'm going to dismiss you in a moment, you're going to see a banner that says, I have decided many times, and there's going to be someone standing there. They've got some literature. They've got some important next steps that they need to share with you. They'll take about 60 seconds of your time. That's it. But some important information that you need to know now that you are walking this new life in Christ. If you have not downloaded our app, and I say this both to uh, those of you in person but also online, go and download Destiny Church of Jacksonville because in there, there are four videos. The videos that I've put together, they're less than five minutes apiece, and you can break them and watch them however you want. They're a total of 20 minutes, five minutes each, but they are very important next steps that you need to know now that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. So download those, watch those videos, Matter of fact, share those with your friends. Amen. But church, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to release you um, just to go forth this week. And man, let's not judge. Let's love. Amen. Father, I thank you, God, that you have called us to be beacons. Lord, lighthouses, Lord, that just shine forth the, the bright light of your Son. That, Lord, is the sweet fragrance of Christ, both to the believer and to the non-believer. So, God, as we go forth this week, God, I pray that we would be on mission. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord. Opportunities to not judge, but to love, just as you have loved us. And so we thank you for it, Lord. Now, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you. May he give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.